If you'd like to take, uh, turn to page 255, our first reading is going to be from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse 19 to 21. So 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come back I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. The second reading can be found on page 734. And the passage we'll be looking at is Luke chapter 9, verse 51. To chapter 10, 24, verse 24. So Luke chapter 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. 
Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Keep that part of Luke's Gospel open. Uh, we have briefly said thanks to God for giving us his word. We're going to thank him again and ask for his help as we look at it more carefully. Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Father, we thank you that all of creation uh, points to your greatness and your glory. Uh, we thank you that you don't leave us simply though with creation to understand you, but uh, you give us your word that lets us know what you are like. Uh, what you love, what is good, what is, what is delightful in this world. Uh, and Father, now we ask that as we look at your word, you would help us to know you better and to start delighting in the things that you delight in and that we'd be reshaped to be more and more like your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, take a moment, consider these questions. Who do you travel through life with? And as you're thinking about those people you travel through life with, how do those you travel with affect you? Who do you travel through life with? How do they affect you? Uh, Travelling together makes or breaks friendships. Uh, someone I knew had gone on uh, extended European jaunt with a friend. Uh, the report I got back was that some, day, some days they, you know, they delighted in each other's company. It was great having someone to travel with. And then there are other days she and her companion simply needed to just kind of explore a city alone and get a bit of space. Uh, since then, she's done a, a number of trips with friends, different companions, uh, different friends, different acquaintances. Uh, some she's ended up firmer friends with, and others there's kind of a greater distance. We'll get the photos back and then um, may not see you for a little while. Uh, but always... Uh, the friend that she's travelled with shaped the holiday experience. Uh, the Proverbs give advice not just for travelling, but, but for travelling in life, for choosing friends. Uh, like this one, Proverbs 22 says, 
do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Don't associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and yourself get ensnared. There's a general principle that the Proverbs observe, and you may have noticed it, that we're influenced by our friends, by those we hang around with, those we travel with. And so beware creating a crowd that's going to lead you in a dangerous path. Now, of course, don't miss here. It's not saying only hang around nice people. Um, that's certainly what the, not what the Bible says. Uh, Jesus, in many ways, subverted that kind of proverbial wisdom. Uh, he hung around with outrageous sinners. He went to parties with national traders. Uh, he kept, the, you know, kept company, I suppose, with prostitutes. Uh, but he did it to influence for good, uh, to draw people into his holiness rather than be taken off with them. You know, it's still wise to choose those you travel with carefully. You know, if you choose who the Proverbs call fools, um, when it says fools, it's not about intelligence, it's about morality. If you choose fools, uh, that's great if you can lead them out of their ways, but if they're going to drag you with them, if you're the kind of character who follows, well, maybe you need different company. So who do you travel through life with? How have they affected you? Important questions. Questions that's going to shape your life now, and if it's going to shape your life now, it will shape your life eternally. And the questions that our reading in Luke in some sense raises, let me sharpen a little. How closely do you travel through life with Jesus? Uh, Do you follow him? Does he set your direction? Or, Or does he wander beside you as you set the direction for your life? Or does he walk along and you kind of jump on and off the path when you feel like it and it's convenient for you and, oh, that looks like a nice stretch of the road, I'll join you for that bit and then I'll... Or do you wander through life never having thought that Jesus might actually care about the path you are treading and the decisions that you're making? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a journey that Jesus made. The middle section of Luke's Gospel, Luke's account of Jesus' life, uh, from here in chapter 9 through to chapter 19, deals with Jesus on a particular journey that he embarked on. Uh, And the way that he travels, I want to suggest, makes him the ideal travelling companion, uh, one who should be in our life, one we travel with. Uh, So far in Luke, the the journey Jesus has travelled has been the path to glory. Uh, Just in this chapter, just in chapter 9, in verse 10 uh, and following, he fed the starving masses with next to nothing. So there are over 5,000 men, didn't count the women and children on that head count, uh, and he fed them with just a few fish and buns. Uh, For a Jewish audience who heard that, they're going, oh, great, it's Moses again. Hang on, no, it's better than Moses. Uh, And so when Jesus asks in verse 18 of chapter 9 what the word on the street is about him, who do people say I am, uh, the crowds esteem him. You know, they say the word on the street is he's a prophet. You know, possibly even one who's come back from the dead. He's a special guy. Uh, his closest friends believe he's that God, he is God's eternal king. They think he's the Christ. Uh, and if that wasn't enough to see, yep, Jesus is a guy on a path to glory, uh, he gets the affirmation of God. So there's this moment in chapter 9 where he is transformed into this glorious likeness. He's got Elijah and Moses, two of God's great dead prophets of the past, there beside him. And God says this about Jesus in 9.35. A voice from the clouds saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now, it's one thing to think that you're a son of God. 
Uh, I'm sure you've met plenty of people who think that way about themselves. But it's another thing altogether for God to think that about you and for God to say that publicly. Jesus is on the path to glory. But it's not the path that many would expect for him. So 9.15 from where Dean started reading, uh, 9.51, I'm sorry, where Dean started reading for us. Jesus makes a commitment to a certain path. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the, the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. The time had come for him to be taken up. Uh, that language is the language of glory. Uh, it was used of Elijah. Elijah, if you don't know the story, it's a cracking story. Um, fiery chariot came down from heaven, collected him, took him up to heaven. He kind of skipped death. Um, an enviable, enviable position. Uh, but Jesus' reception wasn't going to be so easy to be taken up. Uh, yeah, he's looking forward to his ascension, but in 9.22 he'd already said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, by the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And Jesus knows the future. He knows that he has to go through that to get to being taken up. And he sets out resolutely for Jerusalem. Uh, the literal expression there is, he set his face for Jerusalem. You know, like, like concrete that sets. And once it's set, it doesn't change. Jesus was determined to go through that fate of rejection and pain and isolation. Uh, the image for me when I think of Jesus setting his face is, I think Clint Eastwood in, in his great times, the Spaghetti Western era, uh, where he just kind of gritted his teeth and had that determined stare as he looked out over the plains. Uh, if you know Clint Eastwood, you'll know the face. Uh, his director in those, those movies, Sergio Leone, said, I like Clint Eastwood because he has only two expressions, the one with the hat and the one without it. Uh, yeah, Jesus has that kind of expression. He just grits his teeth and says, I'm heading to Jerusalem. Now, he doesn't travel directly there. He actually, as we read on, he, he moves up and down in some different locations. But the idea is the shadow of Jerusalem is always before him. He knows he is heading that way and he will not turn aside. He's committed. Uh, now, commitment is not an uncommon thing. Uh, commitment's commonplace. There's a rumour around that uh, the men of Sydney lack commitment. Uh, it's a complaint made by many women in Sydney. I want to say it's not true. Uh, they're a very committed bunch. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them are committed to being selfish and irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, commitment alone is not virtuous. It's the content of your commitment that matters. So, Ernest Shackleton was a great explorer in the Antarctic. 1915, um, his exploration on the ship Endurance was stopped. He was trapped by ice. They were going to be there for a very, very long winter in Antarctica. Um, conditions forced him to take a party of five, and they set out in a, a tiny little lifeboat in the open sea in the Antarctic Oceans um, to try and get and find, get some help. They had to leave 22 behind. Uh, eventually, he made it to safety. First thing he did was get back out and sit there so they could get the other 22 and bring them back. Uh, you compare that to, to Mark Inglis, who I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, recent conqueror of Everest who walked straight past a dying fellow climber to get to the top. Yeah, both men are committed. I know who I'd rather travel with. Jesus was committed to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. He was committed that he would go there and go through pain because there was a greater good. 
He was committed to go beyond the bare minimum because he wanted to do good for others. Uh, And that's the point in verse 54 and following. Uh, The Samaritans reject Jesus and James and John look back to another precedent in Elijah's ministry and they go, let's call down some fire in heaven to teach them a lesson. You know, come on, judge them. Judge them quick, is James and John's advice. But in 55, Jesus rebukes them. Uh, He's committed to this journey of salvation. You're right. Do you want to grab another glass of water, Tim? Nothing. You okay? Excellent. Nothing but a water won't won't fix. Jesus' journey. He's not about coming to bring judgment, but bring salvation. Uh, And he is committed, and the content of his commitment is what makes him worth travelling with. Uh, When Paul talks about Jesus, he says this in 2 Timothy 2. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with Jesus, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. But if we're faithless, he'll be faithful. He will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. I don't know when you thought of who you've included in your life companions. I don't know if Jesus is on your list. But let me say he must be. You have to have him there. For he is committed to your good. That's why he's set on that path to Jerusalem. I'm aware lots of people at the moment are struggling with various issues, not least the current economic climate. There's no promise on that front of what Jesus will do, but there is a promise that he will be faithful to do you good both now and forever, that is, eternally. But if you're going to travel with him, he sets a direction. Now, some of us struggle to hand over the responsibility of navigating when we drive. I'm kind of putting my hand up at that point. Even more of us probably struggle when it comes to life, handing over, setting the direction of our life to others. We don't mind a bit of advice and lifestyle advice as long as we can leave it. But many of us are uncomfortable with the kind of offer Jesus is going to make. Because he says, if you travel with me, you must come with me setting the direction. And sometimes what's good for us is going to be costly. And that's why as the rest of this passage plays out, we're not going to look at it all too closely, we're going to see a litany of rejection of people who miss out on the chance of travelling with Jesus because it's just too costly. So the people of Samaria that we just read of, they reject Jesus. Why? Because he wouldn't stay. He wouldn't come on their terms. He was always going to go off to Jerusalem. And so they didn't want him. Uh, At the start of chapter 10, uh, Dean read for us how Jesus sent out 36 pairs of workers um, and he said, well, you know, the, the harvest is plentiful and yet at the same time in 10 verse 3, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, expect rejection is what Jesus tells his messengers. 
Uh, because if you associate with Jesus, it's not about claiming his power, it's about sharing his experience, and that's going to be costly. Um, three little roadside conversations at the end of chapter 9 uh, make that really clear. The first one in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yeah, the man's coming and saying, Here you go, Jesus, I've got a blank check. Uh, he wasn't probably expecting that Jesus would take it and uh, fill it out so big. Yeah, Travelling with Jesus means alienation from the world. Uh, even animals have a place to call home, but, but Jesus' future is rejection by the mainstream. Being with him means experiencing that. Conversation 2 in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, oh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This man's actually called by Jesus. He doesn't volunteer. Uh, and unlike Levi, who we met in Luke 5, uh, who left everything instantly, this nameless guy makes what seems a reasonable request. You know, burying your father was one of the most significant cultural, social duties. Um, it, it's probably unlikely at this stage, though, his dad's already dead and he's in the middle of the, you know, the, the, the grieving process. Uh, he wouldn't have been out and about publicly if that was the case. It seems like he's saying, no, look, can I just put off following you until I've you know, done my family duty? But Jesus is clear. Uh, he gives an exaggerated, a hyperbolic answer. No, no, proclaim the kingdom comes first, even before the closest human ties and commitments. Third little conversation, 61. Uh, still another said, I, I will follow you, Lord. Um, oh, just first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for, the serv for service in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's a story similar to Elisha when he was called by Elijah. That was the first story Dean read from 1 Kings. Uh, Elisha was called. He burnt uh, his plough and cooked his ox. The idea is I can't go back to work anymore because I've kind of eaten work. Uh, but he does have time to go back and say goodbye to his family. And Jesus said, no, no, this is more urgent. There's no turning back. I want constant wholehearted commitment and do it now. You, know, you can't have more than one compass setting the direction in life. You either travel with me or you don't. Now, the, the point of the story is he's not there to, to criticise these would-be disciples, but to realise if you're going to travel with Jesus, you have to go with him rather than just listen to his interesting teachings at a distance. Now, what it looks like for us is perhaps a little harder to nail down. You know, the situation's different. We don't physically have Jesus walking to Jerusalem in front of us. But we can say this much. Jesus must come first and some things we treasure we have to give. Uh, one modern disciple I read of in there's a, a little diocesan paper called the Southern Cross in this month's one. Uh, one modern disciple for her, it's housework. Uh, she's committed to multiple church activities, uh, you know, building believers, reaching the community, serving others. Uh, it takes a time, and so for her, the time came out of housework. Now, of course, for those of us who hate housework, it's kind of thinking, tops. Uh, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Excellent. And I suspect that that's exactly not the point for us. <laughs> you know, this is not an opportunity to, to kind of sanctify your laziness. <laughs> uh, 
Real discipleship is actually costly and beneficial to others, just like the journey Jesus makes. So for some people, it's going to mean disappointing your families because you love someone more than them. But for others who perhaps aren't in danger of putting their family in that idolatrous position, it might mean you need to strengthen your ties with them for the sake of the kingdom. You know, for some people, it means becoming um, downwardly mobile rather than upwardly. You know, that your commitment to proclaiming Christ means you will decline things like promotions. Uh, now, you've got to hear, I say these things with mixed motives. You know, I'm, I'm here as a minister, and so it suits me, you can tell, um, for me to say things like get more involved in stuff that happens at church. <laughs> Do the kind of gospel work I'm involved in. Programs we run here. And yet I'm, at the same time, a minister who wants to see this community in Kirribilli reached. And so, you know, I could say everyone become downwardly mobile and everyone has to leave the suburb and no one's here anymore. Uh, my point of saying all this is it's complex to work out what it is to put Jesus first and to follow him. But it's going to be costly and something you treasure will have to give. And what makes it even harder is our hearts, Jeremiah tells us, are deceitful above all things. We can trick ourselves. Now, I struggle to know what it looks like at points. There's a, there's a new system in our particular denomination uh, operating that is trying to stop um, nominators from other church coming around visiting and calling ministers away uh, unless the minister has already said, yes, I want to leave. Uh, now I've got no desire um, or intention of leaving here. I, I'm trusting God's still using me uh, and my gifts usefully here, but I'd hate to discover one day that I was still here beyond usefulness for the kingdom because I made decisions that just suited me rather than advancing the kingdom. Whether you volunteered to go and follow Jesus or whether you just heard his demands and couldn't turn away, discipleship is the same. Jesus comes first, it will be alienating, you will be rejected and it will affect your time and your job and your family. And yet I want to say the cost of not following him is even greater. So if the kingdom of God comes near you and you choose to reject it, uh, Jesus' words in verse 12 of chapter 10 must sting. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, uh, which were, um, I suppose, rebellious pagan nations up to the north of Israel, if it had happened there, they would have repented long ago. They would have been sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it's actually going to be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, are you going to be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. It's repetitious. It's city after city. And that's the point. The list could roll on. You know, why do you London? Why do you New York? Why do you Sydney? So many miss out. And to miss the kingdom is eternally bad. Because you miss out on the joy of, of having your name written in the, in the kingdom of heaven. So when, when those 72 came back from their little mission, uh, in verse 17, they, they went and they spoke to Jesus and they, they say, she was fantastic. We had power over the spiritual world. Even demons had to do what we tell them. Yeah, they were delighting in the power. But Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's nice, but there's something better. Let me redirect your joy. Verse 20. Don't be excited by having even all the power in this world and beyond. Rejoice, you've just got a place in heaven. 
That's the real joy. Because it's actually a gift to know God. And that's what that, that final little conversation is in verse 21. You know, Jesus rejoices in the, in the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son who, who give the ability to actually be a fellow traveller with Jesus, to know him. Uh, it's a gift because, you know, knowing Jesus isn't about your skill or your talent. Uh, in verse 21, he picks children to underline that point. So it's tempting for us to think the real spiritual actions happening here in this building and out there, um, isn't it lovely we run some programs to keep the children out of our way so that we're not distracted from the real spiritual action? That's not it. That's not what Jesus would say. That's not how the Father, Son and Spirit think. Um, The vast majority of Christian people begin their journey with Christ before they're 18. Uh, And it seems shameful because we kind of go, oh, they didn't make a mature adult decision about this. It makes it look all childish and it makes it look like you know, the wise and clever people of the world don't follow. And you know that's the point. Knowing God is a gift, not something clever people deserve. Who are you travelling through life with? How is that going to affect you? Are you travelling with Jesus on that hard road to glory? It's costly, but, but to not go is even more costly. You may know the song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. People know that song? Yeah. It's a bit repetitious. Decided to follow. Um, It's catchy, though. Uh, Each verse finishes, no turning back, no turning back. Uh, The man who wrote it, I don't know if you know who wrote it, but a man called Sadhu Sundat Singh. You can correct my pronunciation later on. Uh, He was born into a wealthy Sikh family in the late 1800s. Growing up, he kind of had a mixed message. He sat at the feet of a Hindu ascetic holy man at the same time as going and learning English at a missionary school. Uh, When his father died at age 14, he raged uh, with violence, uh, particularly against Christian missionaries. Um, He even went out and bought a Bible so that page by page he could burn it up in front of them. Uh, At at age 16, he was um, on the edge of suicide and contemplating that, and he had a vision of Christ, and he committed to following him. Uh, His family actually attempted to poison him for making that decision, Um, so not surprisingly, he moved out of home. For the next 25 years until he died, um, he worked as an itinerant preacher and served people who were needy, particularly lepers. Uh, He was imprisoned at points for serving Jesus, and he wrote this, "'I am not worthy to follow in the steps of my Lord.'" But like him, I want no home, no possessions. Like him, I will belong to the road, sharing the suffering of my people, eating with those who will give me shelter and telling all men the love of God. Yeah, it's easy to look at him and go, oh, yes, but, you know, he doesn't do it exactly right. He hasn't you know, contextualised into our situation now and, and, you know, there's bits of Hinduism and asceticism still in there, but, you know, that's missing the point, isn't it? But his song actually poses a serious question about us. If you don't know the final verse, it goes this. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. Will you? Have you? You so rejoice because your name is in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for Jesus who uh, was committed to travelling for our good. Uh, We thank you that despite the cost, he went there for our benefit. 
Uh, and Father, we're aware that the path to glory, if it was hard for Jesus, is going to be hard for us. And so we ask that you would give us strength to see the goodness of his ways and to follow him in everything. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of knowing you and for the privilege of having our names written in heaven, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus is good. Amen.